0: we're going to discuss the strange disappearances of some of the people you'd most likely expect to go missing – park rangers. Now, we're using parks as a broad term in the scope of this video, as it could include lands protected culturally or historically, including national parks, state parks, and other designated wildlife, wilderness, and recreational areas. Different countries use different names for this position. Warden is a favorite term in Canada, Ireland, and the United Kingdom. Within the United States, the National Park Service refers to the position as a park ranger. The U.S. Forest Service refers to the position as a forest ranger. Other countries use the term park warden or even game warden to describe this occupation. Now, the profession includes a number of disciplines and specializations and park rangers are often required to be proficient in more than one of the following. Law enforcement, emergency response, firefighting, dispatch, scientist and scholar, maintenance, and administration. These individuals, particularly those in administration, are often heavily cross-trained in several of the aforementioned areas in order to allow for a knowledge of all other areas and duties under their authority. As a result, when people become lost or go missing in a park, the park rangers are usually the first ones on the scene to document the case and to start search and rescue efforts into motion. More than anyone, park rangers are very familiar with the missing person phenomenon which happens in parks around the world and were actually among the first to write about it. In fact, without such amazing books as Guardians of the Yosemite by John W. Bingaman published in 1961, Lost, A Ranger's Journal of Search and Rescue published in 1998 by Great Smoky Mountains National Park Ranger and Tracker Dwight McCarter, and 2010's Ranger Confidential, Living, Working and Dying in the National Parks by Andrea Langford, there wouldn't be any missing 411 or other books of this nature that have appeared in recent times. These rangers knew that there were strange goings on in the parks decades ago. Many of the stories you hear from these modern authors appeared here first. But what happens when one of these rangers themselves go missing? I invite you to join me now as we explore five strange cases of missing park rangers. With that said, let's begin. Number one, Ranger Ralph W. Heath. Ralph W. Heath was a park ranger at Baxter State Park in Maine, United States, who allegedly died of exposure while attempting to rescue a woman who was lost on Mount Katahdin in 1963. On Monday, October 28th of that year, Two women, Helen Moore and Margaret Ivesick, both from Concord, Massachusetts, took the Cathedral Trail and climbed Baxter Peak on the mountain. They reached the summit and stopped to have lunch at around 1.30 in the afternoon. When the two friends decided to start their hike again and head back down, they had a small argument over the route Margaret wanted to take. Helen simply wanted to go back the way they came, but Margaret wanted to bushwhack, which very simply put, means to leave the established trail or get off the beaten path as it were. Helen knew how risky this was, although Margaret had more hiking experience than she did, not by much and only three years total. She thought it way too dangerous and stormed off to take Dudley Trail, which was the original trail they had taken to get there in the first place and let her friend make her own mistakes and go her own way. It was a decision she would later regret very much. Margaret, on the other hand, thought she was taking a shortcut and laughed off her friend's warnings and they went their separate ways, agreeing to meet at the chimney pond lean-to. When Helen reached the final destination and saw there was no sign of Margaret, she decided to wait but got very worried very quickly. Though it was a nice and sunny day out that day, a nor'easter was blowing in and the weather was about to very quickly take a turn for the worse. She started calling for Margaret at the headwell near and towards the mountain itself. She was pleasantly surprised when she heard her friend respond and started calling back despite the fact she was asking for help. Margaret yelled that she was not hurt but was stuck in the treacherous terrain and wouldn't possibly be able to continue her turn back and pleaded with Helen to go and get some help. This is when Helen made her way to the ranger station and encountered Ranger Ralph Heath having dinner. She explained the situation and Ralph immediately knew how dangerous that path was and how serious the problem they had. He was, however, thanking his lucky stars, in his mind at least, that there hadn't been any snowfall, at least not yet. As any other year, For as far back as he could remember, there would have been snow covering the mountain for weeks at that point in the year. Ralph followed Helen back to Chimney Point and yelled out in the direction of Margaret and instructed her in a very calm and clear voice to stay where she was and not try to move or go anywhere. Help was on the way. With the wind increasing like it was, Ralph knew that the situation could go from scary to deadly in a matter of just seconds. He had to act fast. He took Helen back to the ranger station and radioed his supervisor, Helen Taylor, and told him there was a hiker stranded in the upper basin on the mountain. Now, a little background on Mr. Ralph Heath to show what a brave man he was indeed and how he was definitely not someone to shy away from trouble. He served in World War II and was honorably discharged. However, a house fire destroyed everything he owned but the clothes on his back, including his discharge papers. He was redrafted to serve in the Korean War before anyone could verify he had already been discharged and had finished his service to the country. Ralph, however, went without hesitation to serve only for his wife to decide she didn't want to deal with another tour, especially one he shouldn't have had to have gone on, and file for divorce. So this was a man who was seeking solitude and peace in his life after all of this tragedy and heartbreak and he absolutely loved his job as a ranger and the beauty of the mountains. Despite the weather outside becoming more and more perilous and the orders from the supervising ranger that they had to wait until morning to attempt any kind of search and rescue, Ralph decided the risk to Margaret was too great. Leaving her out there all alone at night, snow was definitely coming and a lot of it. He decided to attempt to rescue himself despite it being nightfall and dark outside. The temperature had drastically dropped as well. He borrowed Helen's backpack and filled it with essentials such as food, a sleeping bag, water, a parka and extra clothes. He also took 80 feet of rope and at 11pm that same night headed alone down Dudley Trail. It wasn't until 5 hours later, at 4 in the morning, that he reported back to Helen. He told her he had spoken to Margaret about an hour after heading out and was able to obtain her location when he again told her to stay put and assured her help was on the way. She reiterated she was uninjured but very cold. She's probably more than a little scared as well, I'm sure. He told Helen that Margaret was near the waterfall and he wouldn't be able to reach her without more rope and more people. This was an area that even ice climbers considered treacherous and dangerous. Ralph was also extremely concerned because Margaret was refusing to stay and wait for help to arrive and was determined to find a way out herself for fear she would freeze to death before anyone would be able to rescue her. After reassuring Helen and telling her what was going on, he contacted his supervisor, Helen Taylor. And made him aware as well taylor dispatched the main forest service two additional park rangers and a main game warden by six in the morning tuesday the 29th an icy rain began to fall and the wind had picked up drastically ralph heath ate his breakfast and then informed helen mauer of his plans he was going to ascend the ravine from chimney pond climb straight up the head wall and into the waterfall where he would provide comfort to barbara And, if he couldn't manage to rescue her himself, at least she wouldn't be scared and alone, and he would wait with her until the additional resources arrived to get them both out. Now, he was clearly putting himself at great risk, knowing it was unlikely he would be able to do anything but just sit with Margaret and wait. Yet, he did it anyway. He was truly a hero. While the plan was very reasonable, and despite being a chain smoker, Ralph was in great shape and a capable hiker and climber. However, he had hiked Dudley Trail four times in the last 24 hours and it was a very strenuous and hard trail to get through. He was absolutely exhausted at this point and shouldn't have been doing any more hiking or climbing without getting so much needed rest. This would, after all, be a trailless climb he was planning to make. He wasn't going to leave Margaret, however, so the admonishments and warnings from his co-workers and even Helen fell on deaf ears. Ralph reached Barbara just as Hurricane Jenny reached the mountain. He sat with her for a little while and the two hunkered down. A ranger sergeant set out on foot towards Chimney Pond as well and stated that by the time he got to just the basin, the conditions were white out with gale-force winds. By noon, not even the jeeps could make it to the trailhead. There was 18 inches of snow already and more falling fast. He even reported that only halfway up the mountain, his clothes had frozen solid and literally cracked at the elbows. Having no visibility and facing merciless winds, not to mention the condition of his clothing, forced him back down the mountain. He stated he knew that both Ralph and Margaret were in some very serious trouble as help could no longer get to them. It would be impossible for them to help themselves as well. The following morning, Wednesday, October 30th, 1963, Warden Supervisor David Priest returned to Roaring Brook and set up what we today call an Incident Command Center and had at least 35 people there working at all times. All different avenues of help were brought in and explored, but nobody could do anything as the snow was still accumulating and fast on Friday morning. Flash forward to November 1st. Now it had been five full days since Margaret had gotten herself stuck and four whole days since Ralph Heath had joined her to provide comfort and possible rescue which we know now he was unable to do. On Saturday, November 2nd, all teams and persons involved decided that any rescue attempts were futile, that they were simply wasting resources at that point. Mr. William Lowell Putnam III was one of the most experienced mountaineers in the country at the time and had been helping with the rescue effort since Friday. Finally, on Sunday, November 3rd, he made the statement that he believed Ralph and Margaret had most likely died on Tuesday. And reiterated the waste of resources should they continue on this impossible trek to try and save them it wasn't until almost six months later in april of 1964 that margaret iversick's body was found and finally able to be brought down the mountain and sent home even at this time though they needed chemical salts to melt the ice so as not to damage the corpse in any way and the rescue still took an additional three days It was found during the autopsy that Margaret was severely injured and hadn't survived more than a few hours due to the extreme blood loss. Her official cause of death was exsanguination. In other words, she bled out. Two weeks later, on May 15th, they finally found Ralph's body. He was found, oddly enough, 400 feet above where Margaret was found. They airlifted him out of there and his autopsy showed nothing at all. The coroner stated, It looks as if he simply sat down and went to sleep, which is not uncommon when people freeze to death. Now folks, though this was a bit of a long one, I think it's important we go over a few of the facts here. First, if Margaret had died very quickly after getting stuck where she was, how was she yelling to Ralph hours later? She had severed an artery in her leg and would have bled out within just minutes. Still, she was calling out and answering him hours after she initially got stuck. How is this even possible? She called out to Helen as well, even before that, and we know neither one was under any kind of duress or sick at all, so they couldn't have been hallucinating. There were no other bodies found in the area that time, and no one else had come forward claiming to have been the person stuck up there and answering or calling for help that could have been mistaken for Margaret. This is very strange, but becoming more and more common. Either search and rescue workers will hear the calls of people who are missing only to never be able to find the location where the calls are coming from, or the person who is stuck or lost will hear search and rescue but never seem to be able to find them either. The weather coming on so suddenly and so strong all at once is another very familiar factor when talking about the missing in the woods and the mountains. In fact, there were weeks late for any snow at all and the weather started out that day as sunny and warm. This is just one of the many parameters we now look at while investigating the strange deaths and disappearances in the national parks. How and why did it all come on so suddenly? Almost remarkably so. I guess we'll never know. But that doesn't stop us from investigating and pondering and searching for answers in the truth though, does it? Number two, Ranger Randy Morganson. In July of 1996, Ranger Randy Morgeson was working as a backcountry ranger at Sequoia and Kings Canyon National Parks. He was the most ranger in the High Sierras, having been a backwoods ranger for 28 years at that time. On this particular day, July 21, 1996, Randy loaded his pack and went on his routine and regular patrol of his station. He was 64 years old and in almost perfect health. Some of his co-workers even thought he was invincible and impervious to the perils that came with a job. It was just about daybreak when he headed out to patrol near Bench Lake, taking nothing with him but an old ski pole to use as a hiking stick. He was never seen or heard from again. Now, as is often the case in these strange disappearances, a sudden rain started to fall, blew up out of nowhere got rid of any footprints or other evidence as to where Ranger Randy could have possibly gone or what could have happened to him. The people who knew and loved him were shocked. Randy had been the go-to person whenever someone else had gone missing in the area in the last almost 30 years. It was crazy that they now had to reach out to someone else to help find Randy himself. This man was the epitome of an experienced hiker and park ranger there was no one more experienced or better trained. he had grown up in Yosemite National Park and had even worked carrying around the famous photographer Ansel Adams' equipment when he famously photographed the area. He'd been in the Peace Corps and learned high-altitude mountaineering while in India from the Sherpa. He had at one time even been a winter ranger, as well as a Nordic ranger, and then his current gig as a seasonal backcountry ranger. So, you tell me, how does someone like this even get lost while out on his routine patrol no less a route he'd taken many many times it wasn't even during any kind of search and rescue mission just his standard ordinary everyday route he was an environmentalist he was a naturalist It said that he spent more time in the woods of the sierra than john muir he was also a writer his mentor being wallace stegner this particular season, though a in somewhat inexperienced backcountry helicopter flyer, Randy was grounded due to the weather. He absolutely loathed this and referenced it to as being in purgatory. Something to take into account here was Randy's mood, or at least how his usually jovial and not a care in the world mood seemed to be out of sorts immediately prior to his disappearance. Some people that knew him even went so far as to say he was in a funk of sorts. Randy also had some problems with the politics of how the parks were being run and mainly how the backcountry rangers were mistreated and oftentimes overlooked, at least in his opinion. There weren't even any benefits that came along with the sometimes dangerous and low-paying job, except one. Only paid out on a ranger's death, a $50,000 payment paid out to eligible survivors of park rangers who died in the line of service to the parks, such as, but not limited to, during search and rescue missions. While some have speculated Randy personally went missing to obtain this paltry sum, it's just not logical as he was never found, dead or alive, so we can put that rumor to bed right now. The park's senior science advisor recalled a strange encounter he had with Randy just a couple weeks before he disappeared. He said of Randy that he was blank, almost morose. He was usually so passionate about the outdoors, even something small like trampled grass. And when the advisor brought up he was trying to save the trees in the park from some form of infectious bacteria which was killing and rotting them from the inside out he stated randy simply responded with why bother david Graber, the science advisor said one of randy's favorite things to discuss had always been the wildflowers in the area so he decided to bring that up and try to end the conversation on a happy note he started talking about how beautiful the flowers were this year and how nicely they were holding up against the weather and unseasonably strong winds To this, Randy allegedly replied, I don't find much pleasure in the flowers anymore. He claims Randy then ended the conversation by somberly asking out loud if all of his years as being a ranger had been worth it, and then he walked off. Graver said he knew in his heart that this went beyond Randy's well-known contempt for the powers that be, but didn't push the issue. Unfortunately, he never saw Randy again as he went missing two weeks later. When Randy's best friend and coworker, George Durkee, received the call that Randy was missing, he was extremely worried. He had known about some of the personal issues Randy was struggling with, even if he wouldn't say specifically to the public what those issues were. He says he remembered three things when he heard that Randy went missing. The first was the time the two had almost been killed and Randy, for the first time in his life and career, had been reckless and had moved when George called down a large and deadly rock that was about to fall directly onto his head. Randy simply let the rock hit his helmet, which if he hadn't been wearing, would have killed him. The other two memories were similarly strange, with George remarking that it was a good day to be alive and Randy responding he wasn't so sure, and then an argument about Randy's extramarital affair, which George didn't agree with. While these things at the time didn't register as anything but a bit odd, and while no one, including George, thought Randy was depressed enough to think about anything drastic, these things were maudlin, morose or worst, or so everyone thought until the disappearance. Randy never brought the required gun with him and it was still locked up at the station when he went out missing. While this itself didn't rule out anything self-inflicted, most people just didn't think Randy had it in him. Malplay couldn't be ruled out either. Randy had reported feeling threatened exactly twice. Once by an irate climber and again by what he called a cowboy. Nothing further ever came of these encounters and while Park Administration to this day believes that Randy simply hiked out of the park to start a new life without having to deal with anything that comes with leaving it all behind, no one who knew him well would ever believe that. Many people speculated he had simply gotten injured and because the radios were so unreliable, he was able to call for help and nobody has found his body yet. Again, though, this theory has its problems. For one thing, it's been almost 25 years. Surely someone, somewhere, at some point, would have come across at least some of his bones. We still have no clue what happened to Ranger Randy Morganson and perhaps we never will. Some say, though, that he fell victim to something more dark and sinister, something unknown, which is either snatching or swallowing people whole. Perhaps he walked right into a portal or alternate dimension. Maybe he saw something in the woods he wasn't supposed to and was never right in the head again. The possibilities seem endless, and we, especially in this community, should know by now that they really and truly are endless possibilities. Number three, Ranger Brendan Unit Larimer County, Colorado Department of Natural Resources Ranger Brendan Unit, 27 years old, went missing while out searching at night for a missing boater. While there had been nothing reported about the results of the initial missing person who Brendan was looking for, it seems a sudden high wind event caused him to capsize in his boat and die of what was officially said to be freshwater drowning. Now, folks, I'm no expert, but what I do know about is the strange weather events and causes of death that just don't fit the season or the profession the person in question was in. And I'm not the only one, either. Many people are wondering how professional outdoorsmen could capsize and drown. And what about this so-called strange high wind event? Why does there always seem to be a sudden change in the weather during one of these missing persons encounters? these are the things many of us in this community wonder about after seeing case after case after case the same thing over and over again but never with any definitive or even sensible answers number four ranger jeff christensen in july of 2005 another seasonal park ranger died under mysterious circumstances in the same county brendan unit passed away in as well Jeff Christensen was conducting a routine backcountry patrol of the Lake Lawn Trailhead, when he allegedly lost his footing and fell from Mummy's Range in Rocky Mountain National Park in Larimer County, Colorado. The search for the initially missing ranger lasted a little over a week, and he was found on August 6, 2005 by a hiker. The official cause of death was a left temporal skull fracture that led to a subdural hematoma. The ranger has been said to have lost his footing and died of a tragic accidental fall. He'd only been on the job for four years and was survived by his parents. Now, is it possible for someone with at least four years experience to die of something so simple? Could it be that there's something out there in our national parks and forests hunting these rangers? Perhaps they or it wants to take out the people who are going to be able to help and possibly even save the other people, this mysterious predator or predators, Are trying to take out. We must keep searching for the truth. We owe it to all the people who die of something that is seemingly simple and accidental, but could very well be something much more sinister. And finally, number five, Ranger Paul Fugate. Here's yet another tragic account of a park ranger who died while doing his job. Between 2 and 3 p.m. on January 13th, 1980, Law enforcement ranger Paul Fugate, 41, left the visitor center to go on a routine check of the nearby nature trail in the Chiricahua National Monument in Arizona. He was never seen or heard from again. Now, Paul was known as a rebel and even anti-establishment to a point. He stayed for weeks at a time in a small cobblestone cabin on site at the monument. He was a naturalist who did small tasks such as answering the visitor's questions and putting together trail guides. Originally, Paul worked at the Navajo Monument in Arizona, but was transferred soon after being disciplined by one of his bosses about his laziness and slovenly appearance. Apparently, this supervisor admitted in a later report that he was annoyed he couldn't technically fire Paul and also that he hated the hippies coming in to work for the monument. Paul was charged with stealing government equipment when he took some hay home for his wife's horse. He was in an openly open relationship with his wife, and sleeping with multiple women who were co-workers. While all of this may seem irrelevant, we must look at every aspect we can of a person's life when they go missing under such strange circumstances, especially when people in their profession are seemingly doing so at an alarming rate, and have been for a while. Before he left his post that fateful day, he left instructions with the only other staff member there that if he wasn't back by a certain time, for them to close up without him. He then walked out and down towards the area of land the park was about to acquire, one which was shrouded in problems as there had been much conflict about the 400-acre purchase with the local Apache tribe. Again, he was never seen or heard from and nobody has ever been found. Well, there you have it. What do you make of these strange disappearances of rangers who work and in some cases literally live in these parks? If they can go missing and leave no trace, What does that hold for the rest of us? Frightening, isn't it? I look forward to your thoughts in the comment section. Meanwhile, until we meet again, I'm Steve Stockton, and I'll talk to you next time.